0: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Stephen Davis at Feet for Thoughts. It is Wednesday, the twenty sixth of July, and today I want to give my thoughts on being unashamed. So stay tuned. Uh, say I won't. Why you scared to be different? Uh. I yeah, want wow. Good afternoon and welcome to Feet 4 Thoughts. This is Stephen Davis here. We are taking every thought captive to Christ. Again, it is Wednesday the 26th of July. Beautiful day. Um, And today's topic, I wanted to talk about my thoughts surrounding being unashamed. Again, if you are liking the content, please do share. Give those claps and by all means call in. Um, For those who are listening via podcast, Thank you for listening. But I will give you a heads up that you are missing out on some great features from Anchor. So Anchor have recently updated the app and there is a new feature called Discussions. So you can actually, when you download the app and you're listening to the broadcast, little icon on the left-hand side of the play button with a speech bubble in there. If you hit that icon, you can um, you know, post a comment. So you can do like a live text chat Um, It will be there featured on the segment. I can pick the ones that I like and they will actually pop up when anyone listens back. But it's just another way for you to interact with the content. So by all means, um, if you did want to interact, if you did want to get in on a discussion, you can either call in to the broadcast or you can comment through the Anchor app so again shout out to anchor for all the great stuff that they're doing and allowing people like me to really easily just pick up their phone and literally do a podcast i really can't um praise these guys enough for for what they're doing and you know just the doors that they're opening up for people um especially for the body of christ even to really be utilizing new technologies and media uh to proclaim light and life and truth to the world um But today, uh, I wanted to talk about being ashamed and what really, uh, sorry, being unashamed. uh, uh, What prompted this discussion for me is the recent controversy in CHH, in Christian hip hop. And to be fair, it isn't exactly a new thing. Um, It involves a discussion that's been going on probably for decades, not just limited to Christian hip hop, probably limited to Christian music in total. And it's, um, it's about multiple things really. Uh, so I guess what I wanted to talk about wasn't one thing in particular. So I am going to be speaking very generally about my thoughts on this thing. So, for example, rather than directly interacting, well, I guess to give a bit, a bit of background, um, Shailin released a new album recently. Um, and one song in particular that he released which drew a lot of attention was called Random Thoughts 3 where he gave his thoughts on the current state of Christian hip-hop and then in response to that song uh, another rapper by the name of Ruslan, who is a believer um, released a song called Random Thoughts 4 some people saw it as a diss track Uh, But then again, some people saw what Shailin was doing as a diss track. Both of them really clarified in their own ways that that wasn't what they were doing. Shailin wasn't trying to diss and it wasn't beef. Ruslan, in response, was also saying it wasn't a diss and it wasn't beef. His song was more so pointing out the irony of when we assume the motives behind other believers actions, sometimes we can come off looking foolish. That was really the point he was trying to make. But Shailin was raising some valid points as well, um, mostly surrounding a lot of the confusion that many people feel in the body of Christ watching the current state of Christian hip hop and watching where things are going. But truth be told, it isn't limited to Christian hip hop. We see things in, quote unquote, gospel music so for example Snoop Dogg is is producing a gospel album featuring many gospel singers um and Tasha Cobbs recently said that she has a song on her new mal- new album with Nicki Minaj so you know for many people this you know for many Christians this this starts to raise questions many people are confused many people have differing opinions on what everyone is doing um whether they should be making songs with quote-unquote secular artists um whether you know whether the theological content of their music needs to be more heavy so what i wanted to talk about today under the banner of being quote-unquote unashamed because that kind of seems to be one of the phrases that's at the center of this discussion um i just wanted to give my thoughts so not all of them are 100 percent concrete but I did want to try and bring uh, whatever clarity I could bring, you know, where there is some. Um, but yeah, so I'm seeing multiple responses, as I've said, um, from, from many different segments of the body of Christ. But for the sake of simplicity, I actually wanted to categorize many of the responses I'm seeing under two general camps. And I guess the reason for that, um is because they're camps that I do have a foot in both sides you know you know in both camps I do have a foot in Um, I know many people from both camps and so I'm hearing different perspectives coming from people on different you know from these different perspectives so rather than getting into the nitty-gritty of where everyone's theological stance is and where you know how they would define themselves I just wanted to use two categories very generally um, in which to file all of my thoughts under so those two categories being the reformed camp and the non-reformed or slash charismatic pentecostal camp um now why i guess i wanted to delve into that is because it seems very clear that there are those who have um particular thoughts on when christian musicians start to in their eyes, deviate away from explicit proclamations of biblical truth. Um, normally, it's those in, under the reformed camp who are who are taking an issue with the theological content of songs. So for example, um, I believe it was last year, I did a Facebook live video in response to Grace To You Ministries, that's John MacArthur's ministry, who were taking issue with the theological content of Hillsong's music. Wasn't really Hillsong in general. They were specifically talking about Hillsong Young and Free, but they made very generalized statements about Hillsong in general. And I took issue with a lot of what they said. Um, and so you can still find the video um, on, on my Facebook page. Just you know, search for Stephen Davis. In you know, uh, maybe you'll find me. <laughs> uh, I wish I could share the link through Anchor, but that's just not really how Anchor works. Um, what I'll maybe do is post the link. As a comment um, on the broadcast, so anyone who is watching through Anchor, you'll be able to see um, the link, and you know that'll give you an idea of how to find you know my Facebook page, and maybe you'll be able to find the uh, video, or I just put like a direct link to the video in there anyway. But I was going back, to, uh, I went back to that, I looked at some of the notes that I wrote down for it, and I felt that there were several points out of that that were really pertinent for this discussion. So that just kind of got my dome spinning, and you know got me thinking about you know what what i could say you know what i could contribute to this discussion um but what is the you know the central issue as i said i'm i'm looking at this from two camps so the kind of reformed camp and the more charismatic camp um and typically in reformed circles the issue seems to be doctrinal purity so the you know the theological content of the music that's being produced whereas in typically charismatic and pentecostal circles the issue seems to be the mixing of light with darkness um so i guess the question is like you know why the different emphases um from the different camps you know why why am i seeing why am i noticing that there is a, a different emphasis depending on where you fall on this issue and you know i think there's wider issues involved in there but i'm not going to go into those today but um you know, I've I've noticed that charismatics and Pentecostals tend to have a greater awareness of the spiritual realm. Um, the spiritual realm is, to them is very real, and it's it's populated. There are actual spiritual beings that live in the spiritual realm, and they do interact with the physical realm. Um, now, those who are reformed typically don't have this same awareness of the spiritual realm. They tend to have what I'll call a convenient supernaturalism. So. Supernaturalism isn't necessary to believe, you know, in God, in angels, the devil, the incarnation, the resurrection, you know, the kind of key tenets of Christianity. You can't really believe them and not have any supernatural worldview. So for convenience sake, they will adopt supernaturalism in application to those areas. But beyond that, everything else is pretty much dismissed or ignored. Um. And this is not to say that there is a direct correlation, but what we see then is an emphasis in the Reformed camp on doctrine over our struggle with some real spiritual forces of darkness. So, again, this is a generalization, so I I admit that there will be nuances to this, but um, generally speaking, it seems to me that for those from the Reformed camp, their issue with what Christian musicians are doing now is and in, you know the issue of doctrine you know what doctrine is being put forth in the music whereas those from the more charismatic Pentecostal side the issue is there is a spiritual war you know there are spiritual forces of darkness in play here and you don't want to be mixing and messing with that um, it's not to say that you know those from the reform side don't you know believe that these things don't exist Um, but how you overcome them is ultimately through sound doctrine seems to be what I'm picking up and there is some truth to this in the sense that the enemy's greatest weapon is falsehood and we overcome falsehood with truth but knowing and professing a set of facts isn't having truth truth is powerful when truth is applied um and this goes back to James, you know, the Book of James, faith without works is dead. I will show you my faith by my works. Um so then the key question for me is how do we live in the world without being of the world? How do we let our light shine before men? Um and that obviously comes from Matthew 5:14 to 16 which says you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And the first thing to know here is that you are light. That's what the text is saying. The text is saying you are light and you are a city on a hill. The point is it cannot be hidden a city on a hill can't be hidden right and if you are light you know light isn't lit to lit to be put under a basket um who you are will always shine through so let it shine is basically the point i believe or what what jesus was emphasizing here in matthew was you are light you are a city on a hill so let your light shine because it can't be hidden You know, there's no point trying to hide it, it will shine it will shine through anyway. So, my very short, very simple definition of in the world, but not of it, would be that you live in this world, but your worldview is different. Therefore, the way that you do things is different. Whatever you touch and whatever you do will bear fruit worthy of your repentance. Because you are light, because you are the city on the hill. The way that you do everything will always be different from the people who are around you. The way you do things will be different and the values that you hold will be different. Now we are called to spiritual warfare and spiritual warfare is warring against false worldviews. It's countering falsehood with truth. We're meant to point people to the truth. So the question then becomes, is being explicit the only way to point people to the truth? Or in other words, is being explicit about the doctrines you believe in the only way to let your light shine before men? Um, And the example of scripture tells us that the answer to that is no. Being explicit isn't the only way to point people to the truth case in point two books from scripture the book of esther and the book of song of songs or song of solomon as it's also popularly known these are two books that don't mention god at all the book of esther never mentions god song of songs never mentions god but they are both in the bible and the thing about esther is that even though esther never mentions god or makes reference to yahweh the book is of his providence just by the way the book is structured and organized when you read through it you can't help but see the hand of God throughout all of the things that are happening and that's really where you get the point of the book the message of the book is that even when you can't see God even when you can't hear his name being mentioned that doesn't mean he's not at work and he's not doing things you can see that perfectly in the book of Esther that he is working behind the scenes on everything another book that i think does mention god but kind of comes close is kind of similar would be the book of ecclesiastes in a sense that if you just read ecclesiastes and you don't finish the book you may put it down kind of despairing like does this person even believe in god because of the way they're talking they talk like an atheist but if you actually read it through there is that clarification at the end but um, by not having the whole picture you may you know you may be led to believe that this isn't a book that is glorifying God and and you know people did question for example the book of Esther because it didn't mention God you know before the old testament you know canon was formalized as it were um, the Jews did question the place of the book of Esther specifically because it wasn't mentioning God by name but the fact that these books are in the bible shows us that being explicit about the doctrines you believe in is not the only way to point people to truth the book of esther points people to truth just by looking at the narrative and seeing god's hand work there are so many truths that you can draw out of it you know um and i know this the the scripture isn't a direct correlation but there is that passage that says that the heart of a man is like deep deep waters but a man of wisdom knows how to draw it out or another similar passage is the secret things belong to the lord but kings will search them out so in other words i believe that if you know god if you love his word and if you have are developing a mastery of his word and a biblical worldview you will be able to mine biblical you know biblically based content and find god there even if he's not mentioned by name, and I think the book of Esther proves that. If you like, cause most of us will read the book of Esther and we're just looking at Esther and looking at Queen Vashti and all of that stuff. And you know, because God isn't mentioned, we're not thinking about God's hand. We may be asking the question of why he's a mentioned, but we're not really thinking about it. But the point of the book should drive you to think about this. It should drive you to think about the fact that even if you're not seeing the big booming glory of God, his hand is still there working and you can see the biblical worldview flowing throughout the book. So when it comes to the issue of music, as that is the central topic for today, what do we say there? So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I, I went back to my notes from the Facebook Live video I did about Grace To You Ministries and Hillsong. And there were five points there that I thought were really poignant for this time. Uh, I've adapted them slightly, but they more or less re- remain the same. So, five points, five questions that, that I asked. So, number one, what is the purpose of Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Are they intended to teach doctrine or to glorify Yahweh? And I think this is an important question to ask. Go l- open your Bible and look up the book of Psalms if you just read the book of psalms could you get a, comp- a complete theology from it you know you there's a lot in there but it won't give you everything and you have to ask the question whether that was the intention of the psalms is the intention of the psalms to teach theology to teach doctrine or to glorify yahweh so that's the first point the second point why would you be relying on songs to teach you theology and doctrine rather than the study of scripture? And I think this is a question we all need to ask ourselves who are looking at this music debate, you know, this Christian music debate. Why are we looking to songs to teach us theology and doctrine rather than studying the scriptures, rather than fellowshipping with one another and being discipled, you know, because the musicians aren't our, are you know the ones discipling us. You know the musicians aren't our teachers. That's not to say that you can never learn or be instructed or be taught or be exhort,ed or be rebuked or anything like that. But they're not there for that purpose. So we should be asking ourselves, what is the purpose of music? What is the purpose of songs? They can be used to teach doctrine, but is that biblically according to Scripture? Is that the purpose for which they are given? We shouldn't necessarily be relying on them to teach us theology. Thirdly, when Ezra taught the people, he didn't sing psalms. He opened up the books of the Old Testament and explained them to the people. He opened up the Torah and whatever of the writings and the prophets that they had at that time, and he expounded it to them. He didn't sing psalms. Now, that's not to say he didn't have any psalms to read or to look at. But my point is, he didn't try and teach the people through music. He didn't try and teach the people through song. Fourth point: If you have biblical instruction, you will have a complete theology. So, in other words, if you're in the Word of God, if you're studying the Word of God, if you are listening to biblical teachers, if you're reading books that give you a greater understanding of theological concept uh, concepts, if you are studying the Bible, you will have a complete theology. That's that's just how it is. So in other words, it's not looking at music, which maybe is more so like a nutritional supplement to give you your full meal. Like you need to have a full steady diet. Don't look to the music to be where you're drawing all your nourishment from, because I don't believe that that's why it's been given to us. It's not not meant to be the main source of our biblical instruction. The word of God is, you know, and the people who God has gifted to us to expound the word of God, are there for that purpose Um, and the fifth point was um, that that this so you know music being for biblical instruction is put forth as the benchmark standard for the content of songs is what is actually unbiblical it's unbiblical because scripture itself does not present that standard so in other words the problem is that we're looking to songs and their theological content you know and you know we're saying that the, these songs should have a particular standard of theological content, but that in and of itself is unbiblical because the Bible never gives us that standard. That's a standard that we have put on the music, and we've said all of the music must hit these theological touch points. It must mention these, you know, these Christianese terms, and if it doesn't, then it's not biblical enough. So I guess basically what I'm saying is is that we're probably importing a standard onto christian music or christian artists that scripture doesn't necessarily give us scripture that the example of scripture doesn't um give us what we we are expecting from the music case in point and this this is an example i also used in that facebook live video if you wanted to get a complete theology of creation you couldn't go to the psalms the psalms talk about creation but they don't give you genesis 1 right so because they don't give you that you shouldn't expect that from the psalms and you wouldn't expect that from the psalms just you know in like manner you wouldn't expect the psalms to give you everything from genesis to malachi you know or you wouldn't you know the new testament doesn't even give us any songs you know like well, you have fragments of songs implied in the text but you never really have anything like the psalms in the new testament you know i mean like we never really have that all we have is the psalms in the old testament but my point is that the standard that we expect in terms of theological content from christian musicians is not the same standard that we actually get from the psalms which was the, the songbook of the old covenant people so you know it's, it just begs the question of why we are are we expecting a bit too much from Christian musicians when the Bible itself doesn't actually give us that standard and obviously how this relates to the topic at hand in terms of being unashamed is the question has been raised as to whether certain people within Christian music or who do music and are Christians whether they truly are being unashamed if they, their music doesn't have the same theological content so that is kind of the central issue at hand but Here's the thing. Some of the same people who complain about, for example, what goes on in a Hillsong church building or worship service, quote unquote, or who may complain about the content of music coming from Reach Records. Many of them are the same people who seem to have no qualms with watching shows like The Walking Dead and Empire and Game of Thrones and all of that stuff. And, you know, you're watching these things through the windows of God's actual temple, which is the body, you know. So people are looking at church buildings and complaining about what's going on there. Whereas they will take the actual temple of the Holy Spirit and watch something like The Walking Dead. And this is really what I guess kind of raised in me. um, Made me think about the two different camps, because by and large, I don't see people from the Pentecostal charismatic side Of this complaining about the theological content whilst watching things like Game of Thrones, Walking Dead and Empire. Some do, not saying that they don't, but more so I see it far less on that side. And on the reformed side, I see people who are banging on about doctrinal purity whilst they're playing Call of Duty, whilst they're watching Walking Dead, whilst they're watching Game of Thrones, like many things that present a worldview that is so far removed from what they profess. And it's very, that is confusing. So, it, you know, as, as much as many people will be saying that things like that certain Christian musicians are doing, you know, doing songs with non-Christian artists and, you know, you know, uh, not being as explicit about the gospel and their lyrics, what have you, even though those people may question or some of those people who have that kind of view may question what those artists are doing, I have to wonder why you're watching certain shows that you're watching. It's just that is confusing as well. Um, So it's something that we should ultimately be thinking about. Um, But the other question I wanted to get to was what about those who cannot be as open about their faith? You know, if we're talking about people maybe trying to water down their presentation of you know, the Christian worldview or the gospel or whatever, so that they, I don't know, for whatever reason, what do we say about those who cannot be open about their faith? So what really sparked off this line of thought for me is that it literally just dropped to me the other night. Um, I was just in bed and I remembered one of my favorite books from years back it was a book called Secret Believers and it's about uh, Muslim background believers so people who are christians and they come from a muslim background they're living in muslim majority countries and essentially they have to keep their faith secret and it's it's a true story so it's it's about real people their names have been changed to keep them safe um but it follows you know a guy who used to be part of the muslim brotherhood um you have a young girl who came to faith in christ because she accidentally stumbled on something you know like a god tv kind of tv station on cable um you have another guy who um there's like a catholic priest you know kind of the only catholic priest in this middle eastern village you know and it follows their lives and the persecution that they face for being christ either christians who are formerly muslims or being christians who are living you know um in these muslim majority countries so the book is by a guy called brother andrew he also wrote uh the book called god smuggler and he started the organization open doors which deals with Christians and persecution. but it got me thinking, well these people live in a context in which they can't express the same openness about their faith that we in the West do. you know they, they can't walk around with a bare fruit t-shirt on you know they, they can't walk around with um, Jesus plastered over their chest. They can't necessarily get tattoos of scripture or Hebrew or anything like that because to them it's, it's like it's literally life and death. And there's so many things we can learn about the people who go through these things. And, you know, it really reflects on what we do and we don't take seriously. So, for example, there's a big emphasis in the book on water baptism. Like it was a big deal because to the Muslims who were in that country, for one of their own, their number to be baptized, like that was the last straw. If you were reading the Bible, if you were going to quote unquote church services that that may lead to like beatings and imprisonment and torture and lashings but it's when you were baptized in water that they decided you have to be killed because it was like you've now crossed that line you have joined yourself to the body of christ like it's like they understood it more than christians do generally speaking they understood that once you were baptized there's no going back and so they would kill the people who apostatized by getting baptized um and, you know, they'd have to do it in secret. Their their meetings would have to be in secret. There was a lot of secrecy going on because they are a persecuted minority. And so this raises the question, well, what about those who can't be that open about their faith? Would we say that they are ashamed of the gospel? Is that why they're hiding their faith? Or is it because they they know that they could lose their lives, that their friends could be tortured, that their family could be... Her, even if their family and friends aren't believers, they would use, you know, and you have examples of this in the book where you had a young girl was kidnapped. You know, she's kidnapped by her cousins and sold off in marriage to someone because of this issue, you know. Um So these are the kinds of things that people in those kinds of contexts face. And it's not just uh, Muslim countries. You, you know, you might have similar things in places like North Korea. Now some would look at that and say well pfft, that's just fear of man um but scripture doesn't actually condemn those who aren't open on as open as others it condemns those who deny christ before man and even in that context even in that place peter was still able to repent and be forgiven by christ he denied christ 3 times and christ excuse me christ still restored him So, even the denial of Christ isn't an automatic, your name is erased from the book of life. There is still grace there. There is still a chance for repentance there. But from what I can see in Scripture, Scripture doesn't out and out condemn you for not being as open about your faith as other people are. What we actually see is that Scripture makes allowance for those who are, you know, outspoken in their faith, and it makes allowance for those who conceal their faith. John nineteen thirty eight. After these things Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission. First Thessalonians four ten to twelve but we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 1 Timothy two, one to two. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for Kings and all who are in high positions, that you may lead, peaceful, lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. There are other passages as well that talk about people who didn't speak out because of fear of the Jews. They didn't talk about Jesus. But the point is that they're not actually condemned in the text for doing that. It's just pointed out why they weren't as open. But we must realize that if scripture gives allowance for both, for people who are open and people who are not, we can't choose one way over the other. And, you know, the passages from 1st Thessalonians and and 1st and, and Timothy, um, what they are telling us and what they are showing us is that Some people were called to live a quiet and peaceful life. Not everyone is called to live this life where you are constantly at the front lines battling darkness. Some people are called to live quiet lives where you just live as a faithful citizen, as someone who follows Jesus Christ, who fellowships with the brethren. And that's it. Just live peaceful and quietly as much as depends upon you. Live peaceably with all men. Some people are called to that. Not everyone is called to be an apostle or a prophet on the front lines battling darkness. You know, if scripture gives allowances for both, we can't choose one way or over the other. We need to recognize that the body is many limbs with many different functions. That's Romans 12, four to eight. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness not everyone is a prophet not everyone teaches not everyone's going to be good at exhortation. There are some who are going to do things like just contributing and serving behind the scenes. So, so some are going to live a peaceable and quiet life, and all they're going to do is be generous to people or to be cheerful. You know, other people are going to be more involved in teaching or you know in in, in planting churches. So they're going to be a bit more um aggressive with the way that they do things or they're going to be a bit more outspoken a bit more vocal and what scripture is showing us is that's okay why because we are different limbs in one body and one limb can't say to the other limb we don't need you neither can everyone be an eye or a mouth or an ear or a foot we all have different functions for different reasons and true christian unity is actually in recognizing that we are a body with many limbs and different functions that's how we find unity in the body of christ not by everyone doing the exact same thing in the exact same way but by realizing that we are all different but we are all one body but what about mixing light with darkness? Okay, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Philippians one fifteen to 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice yes and i will rejoice um on part of the grow the heck up telegram group um and this you know this point of discussion came up and a brother in the lord raised this scripture in regards to believers who do music with um non-christian artists specifically was in regards to snoop dogg producing a gospel album um you know the question was raised of well you know Uh, What about people who may be doing this simply to make money out of the body of Christ, you know, taking advantage of believers? And this was kind of put forth, I guess, as a little bit of pushback on that to say, well, you know, if the truth is still being proclaimed, then whether people are doing it in pretense or not, Christ is proclaimed. And Paul said in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So there's that perspective and that way to look at it. But let's look at a couple more scriptures. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Uh, he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field but while his men were sleeping his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away so when the plants came up and bore grain then the weeds appeared also and the servant of the master's house came and said to him master did you not sow good seed in your field how then does it have weeds he said to them an enemy has done this so the servant said to him. Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Hey, hold that thought. First Corinthians five, six to eight. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for christ our passover lamb has been sacrificed let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven the leaven of malice and evil but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth and false paul then goes on to talk about the person who calls himself a believer and is indulging in sexual sin cast them out of your assembly don't even eat with them he says don't remove you know, I'm not saying don't associate with unbelievers, because then you'd have to leave the world. So right, you're in the world. You you know, you have to be in the world, but don't be of it, right? But he says, cast out the leaven from among you that you may be truly, you know, unleavened. Next passage is 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? and you shall be sons and daughters to me says the lord almighty now an important thing to define about this in terms of yoking many people uh, you know and i heard this taught for years that being unequally yoked was about marriage it's not specifically about marriage it can be applied to marriage but the imagery here is of yoking oxen or yoking animals and a yoke was an uh, a farming implement so you would attach this frame it kind of looks like um like those gallows, like the foot where someone would get executed. So this piece, long piece of wood, and it would be attached to two oxen to pair them together to do work in a field. So the context of being unequally yoked is if you were to put an ox with a donkey. They're two different animals. They work in different ways. They have different paces. You wouldn't be able to work effectively if the two animals were unequally yoked. So being unequally yoked is really more so about doing the work of God, being in partnership with someone who is unequal. In this case, the context is about unbelievers. So doing the work of God, Paul is saying, do not be unequally yoked in this way. Right. Um, so those are the scriptures. And, and I'm also just throwing them out there just to kind of give the different layers um, that we can gather from this, so you know there are people who may be preaching Christ out of pretense, um, and then obviously it, it's not necessarily always our job to try and dig up the weeds, as it were. But when we have the case where there are professing believers and they are living lives of unrepentant sin that is bringing disrepute to the body of Christ, we should disassociate with them and cast them out of the body. And then, in like in in addition to that we shouldn't be trying to do the work of christ building up the body of christ preparing the bride for his return you know purifying and building god's dwelling place we shouldn't be trying to partnership with lawlessness and darkness and unbelievers in order to do with that for we don't share an inheritance with them so why are we trying to work towards the same inheritance right so when it comes to christian artists doing work with people who aren't believers i think this these texts and these issues are gonna take center stage and should be um thought of or regarded of but i do think that in this discussion we need to find to define what is holy what is common and what is unclean because many of the things that we think are unclean are actually common it just depends on how we use them Something being common isn't going to defile you and make you unclean. We can take things that are common and make them holy, or we can take things that are common and make them unclean. Generally speaking, attaching what is unclean to that which is holy didn't cleanse the thing that was unclean. We see the example of this in Haggai 2 12 13. Uh, the prophet asked the people, If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread, or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food so he's talking about common things does it become holy the priest answered and said no so just being in proximity just touching it doesn't make it holy right then Haggai said if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these does it become unclean so if the unclean touches the common does it become unclean the priest answered and said it does become unclean so attaching the common to the holy doesn't make what is common holy right what is holy stays holy what is common stays common holiness like it's not something you can just get by accident okay just by proximity just by being near it or touching it holiness takes effort and it takes intentionality something has to be set apart in order to make it holy but what is holy or common can be defiled by what is unclean so just by proximity it can it can happen by accident right you can make what is holy common and you can make what is common unclean so let's define you know like this is me speaking let's define that which is holy as that which is different from the way the world acts and thinks it is that which conforms to the image of christ something that reflects the image of christ that should be, I think, the benchmark for how we are defining that which is holy. It's different from the way the world thinks and acts and it conforms to the image of Christ or glorifies the image of Christ. Often our assumption is that to be holy, we must look and we must sound different. It's more so about cosmetic anesthetics, how the outward appearance of something looks and how you know things outwardly sound. Applying this now to music, some may say we shouldn't have the same sound or the same appearance. So uh, case in point, if you sounded like Jay-Z and you were wearing, you know, baggy trousers and a cap and chains and had some tattoos, we shouldn't look or sound like that is what many people would argue. But that isn't so much the point. The point is really worldview. What are you communicating and how are you communicating it? Take, for example, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper looked like a dinner party. People were eating, they were drinking, they were laughing, and they were singing. But what made it different or what should have made it different was that people weren't getting drunk, they weren't being greedy and eating all the food, they were singing songs of of adoration to Jesus And the way they were treating each other was different. Everything was being done out of love. And this would have actually worked in the favor of those who lived in times of persecution. And, you know, if you go to secretbelievers.org, they actually have a 30-minute short film. It's part of a series, I believe, that they're doing from a guy who worked in a Muslim-majority country. Um, And in the intro, um, they actually make this point about, you know, yeah, we gather in homes and if the authorities come, we can quickly turn our gathering into a dinner party. And so they're following the same pattern that people in the first century would have followed. If someone, you know, if it was a time of persecution, if someone came, like the Roman authorities came and they're looking for a Christian gathering to break it up or arrest the people or kill them, if they came in, what they would see was people having a dinner party. And it wouldn't ne- at first glance, it wouldn't necessarily look any different from anyone else having a dinner party at that time. They would have seen wine. They would have seen food. They would have seen people laughing and enjoying themselves and singing songs. But what we've done today is we've assumed that the Lord's Supper cannot ever look like that. And we think that that is making it holy. So by making something look completely different from some like basically making something that's common look completely different from other things that's common we think that that is what makes something holy and it's not necessarily by turning the lord's supper from a feast into a sacramental funeral doesn't make it holier right It, it it doesn't actually do it no it's the manner in which you do that thing is what makes it different so um You know, when it comes to, you know, Christian music, and I know I'm kind of delving into the, I guess, the realm of styles here and what and what have you. Our focus shouldn't be on whether it looks and sounds completely different. It's more so about the worldview that's being put forth and the way in which it's being put forth. That's what we should more so be focusing on, because that's what's going to turn something that's common into something that's holy. Um, now when it comes to i guess still talk about the the issue of mixing um when it comes to christian artists making music with non-christians i think my outlying question will be whether the lifestyle of the unbeliever will reflect badly on the body of christ not even so much will the weak be drawn off to listen to their madness i think that is a genuine concern that those who are younger or weaker in the faith if they see tasha cobb's doing a song with Nicki Minaj, they may suddenly think that listening to Nicki Minaj is okay. Obviously, those with more knowledge know it's not as big a deal, so to speak. Like, Just listening to it isn't going to defile you like that. But those who are weaker in the faith may not have that same understanding. But I think the broader question that we need to ask is whether that person's lifestyle will reflect badly on the body of Christ. If you're partnering with this person, and people look at their lifestyle and then look at what your lifestyle is supposed to be and you're joining together with them to do some kind of work for the glory of christ that to me is more so going to bring disrepute to the body of christ and cause the name of god to be blasphemed so if there is anything that should be you know taken into account when christian artists want to do music with non-christian artists i think that's what they should be thinking about more so now before i finish um i did want to briefly touch on something i mentioned earlier which is the supernatural aspect of it you know as i said i feel that pentecostals and charismatics um more so approach the issue of music from i do i do believe it is a purity and holiness thing um but i also think that there is the supernatural element of it in the sense of when you go near certain things, there is a chance that, you know, something bad may rub off, right? Um, and for me, I think that the central issue is fear. Now, let me, you know, preface that by saying that, that's not to say that there isn't some truth to, like, watching or listening to something may have an effect on you. Like, I I know, you know, it may be anecdotal and some people don't like to hear anecdotes, but, You know, I know people who have been affected supernaturally by what they watched. There was a young boy at my mother's church um, years back when I used to go there. And he had a lot of issues, a lot of personal issues. And, you know, people suspected that he was under some kind of demonic possession or oppression. And he himself confessed that he was watching a movie. And whilst watching a movie, right, it was a horror sci-fi movie. Whilst watching this movie, the, the central being or creature of the movie, he said he saw that being step out of the TV and walk inside him. And from that point on, the guy went nuts, right? So it can happen. But that being said, I think that the central issue is actually fear. And I believe that fear is the playground of the demonic of these you know evil spirits i believe that malevolent spirits can you know associate themselves with certain things or maybe even attach themselves to certain things in certain places but the question is what draws them out what will actually make them come out and attach themselves to you um and i thought of four things just off off the top of my head Um, I think the first is direct interaction, so things like channeling, binding, communication, using mediums, that sort of thing, Ouija boards, where you're literally trying to establish contact, you're going to establish contact, right? Um, The second one would be sinfulness. So, you know, if you're basically being given over to them because of rebellion or you're succumbing to their falsehood, so you are believing the worldview that is being put forth to you so that you will now fear those things right you know um i think that's another way that you can succumb third i'd say exploitation of the vulnerable uh, what i mean by that is spirit i believe spirits can take advantage of the vulnerable to physically assault them so for example sleep apnea um, scientific studies have shown that you're more likely to experience sleep apnea and paralysis by sleeping on your back because of something that your body does that can cause you to wake up and be paralyzed but what can't be denied is that many people experience an evil presence or see things or feel themselves being restrained i believe that spirits can take advantage of a body that's weak physically weak and physically assault them it's not necessarily because you've done something it's like they just see an open door that they can exploit But the fourth one, I think, is fear. When you don't trust in the one who has conquered darkness, if your faith is not in Christ, if you don't see him as enthroned and in victory over darkness and over the enemy, um, you're going to fear darkness. And that's why most people don't want to go near the demonic because they're scared. And the question is, well, why are you scared if the Holy Spirit lives in you? Right? The presence of Christ lives in you demons fell down in front of jesus in fear and said please don't send me to the abyss but we who profess to carry his presence are scared of seeing one why could it be that maybe you don't believe that christ is as victorious as he is and that's why you fear the demonic because ask yourself the question when are most people messed up by things like horror movies It's when they give in to fear of the supernatural. You watch something like Candyman and then you can't stand in front of a mirror and say his name three times. Why? Because you think he's actually going to come and kill you. You've given in to fear and you believe more in the darkness than you do in the light. And, you know, um, you know, I've heard stories about people who have been influenced by the music that they listen to. I mean, I guess the the reason why I'm saying all of this is I don't think it's always going to be. As simple as a one-to-one correlation so you watch this movie demons are gonna come and get you read this book demons are gonna come and get you listen to that song demons are gonna come and get you but they are there and they are looking for open doors and so if we are not careful they will find those doors but I think if we start from the place of not being afraid of them then they won't be able to feed on that fear and exploit it now again, this doesn't mean just go off and watch any kind of madness like um, or listen to any kind of madness But I just think that these are all things that we need to bear in mind So where does this bring us? You know, I don't have a specific conclusion um, But I guess I would go back to the five points I raised earlier You know, what is the purpose of Psalms hymns and spiritual songs? Are they intended to teach doctrine or to glorify God? why Do we rely on songs to teach us theology and doctrine rather than studying the scriptures when Ezra taught the people? He didn't sing them songs. He read from the book of scripture. If we have biblical instruction, you will have biblical theology. And when we put forth the theological content of songs as the benchmark for whether they are good or not, that is unbiblical because scripture itself does not present that standard so being unashamed in our music in our lyrical content is it purely down to doctrinal purity um and by doctrinal purity meaning is your theological content like up to 10 no because you can present a biblical worldview and you can shine your light before men without being explicit there are other ways to go about it. it doesn't mean that you're not that, or it doesn't mean that you are ashamed of the gospel, it just means that you're presenting the biblical worldview in a different way. Now that being said, do I think that Christians should necessarily be making music with non-believers? I think that we need to approach it with wisdom. I think you need to be thinking about who you're working with, what their catalogue is, and what kind of reputation it's going to give to the body of Christ but ultimately it's going to depend on what you are trying to do if you are just a musician who's just making music for art then it may not be that big an issue but if your mission is to proclaim the truth and build the body of christ then i think we need to actually think twice about what we're doing and why we're doing it so this is stephen davis and this is feet for thoughts taking every thought captive to christ And that's all I have today. Those are my thoughts on being unashamed. So, again, if you have enjoyed the content, uh, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Feet4Thoughts. That's Feet4Thoughts on Instagram and on Twitter. Share it, clap it, comment, whatever you want to do. Click the link in the bio, see if there's anything else you find interesting on my Anchor page. If you were listening via the podcast, again, thank you for listening. Um, But I would recommend that you download the Anchor app so that you can interact fully with the content. Otherwise, I pray that you have a blessed day and that this has been edifying to you. God bless.
1: Hey, what's up? Just, uh, I knew you were referencing a Facebook video, um, a Facebook link. If you post a link in the text of the description of your audio, that's a clickable link. So just as kind of a a heads up, you could hop over to Facebook, copy the external link, and then you can paste that into the description or the, the title of your, um, of your segment, and that'll be a clickable link that can go outside of Facebook. Um, definitely very interested. I'm obviously early because I just dropped this call in. I'm going to definitely be calling in on this matter because it is a super hot button for me, my man. So thank you for bringing it up, and I will talk to you again in a minute.
0: Hey, Kurt. Thanks for the call in, and thanks for the heads up. I had no idea you could do that. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate uh, appreciate you uh, calling in and dropping that nugget of wisdom uh yeah hope you enjoy the rest of the broadcast and find it interesting um so to everyone else listening uh what i will do once the episode is uploaded and added to podcasts is i'll put the link to that facebook live video in the description so uh you'll hopefully be able to tap it and go watch the video if you're so inclined
2: Wow, that entire segment about being unashamed was so good. It was so good. I am really glad that you made that entire podcast. I listened to it from start to finish all the way through, really focused on it while I was working on some things in my house. And oh, that was so good. That was really, really great. I I don't even know what to say. I just wanted to let you know that it was encouraging and edifying. Um, I heard a lot of things I agreed with. I heard some things that made me think a, bit, a little bit. I heard some things that I'm going to be testing later and talking with my husband about. Um, yeah, so awesome content, man. And I checked out your link. Uh, may God bless your book. I think you have a real way with words. That You get a lot packed into a small amount. So that's really cool.
1: Alright, my man, I got through all those segments, and boy, I'm super pumped because I have the answer for you. The answer is freedom. You mentioned the verse that we are to live in the world, but not of the world, and you asked the question, what does that mean? It means freedom, man. It means that let the world be the world, and let you be you, and let all the other Christians be the other Christians, that they're... No need for a competition. We'll love each other. We'll influence each other. We'll be there for one another. But we're free to live how we will. And, it, man, that is so much victory. Forget all the doctrinal BS and nonsense of, you know, well, how spiritual is this? And is that doctrinally correct? Man, just love and just let one another be free. Now, how does that pertain to this rap battle as it were? It's very simple, let the market be the market be the market. The market is king, because guess what, if no one's listening to the guy's rap music, it doesn't matter what he says, there's a lot of people that say weird things in their basement or into their into their phone voice recorder for that matter, right? And it doesn't matter but if the market enjoys the music then the records are gonna sell again it's freedom it's letting the market decide that's a free market right if people don't like it don't buy it it's super simple if you feel it then get down with it if you feel like it's derailing you spiritually stay away from it i mean and it's really that simple and it doesn't need to be a stitch more complicated. Love you, brother.
0: Hey, Victoria, I uh, appreciate you listening to the show. I'm glad that you found it edifying and thanks for your words of encouragement as well. I really appreciate it and especially appreciate you echoing the segment on your station. That was really cool of you. Uh, so thanks again. Uh, Kurt, yeah, thank you for chiming in also. Um, I think in regards to the whole thing about let the market be the market, I think you have a good point there, Um, you know, in the sense that there is an aspect of the market that I think drives a lot of this um, and I think uh, case in point i think is the um labels that we attach to music so i had this discussion with some fellow believers the other day in regards to the label of gospel quote-unquote music and who gave it that label who gave it that that title was it the artists was it the audience or was it the record label and you know i I think the maybe thinking of everyone was leaning towards oh it's the record labels that maybe have been labeling this stuff as you know gospel music and you know maybe to an extent it could be the record labels and you know and the audience that are also labeling things as you know uh christian rap or christian rapper christian hip-hop and what have you um and which is obviously contributing to how people decide to interact with the music and what they think of it and what have you um so I think there is definitely grounds to say we'll just let the market be the market. People will listen to what they want to listen to. I do think though to slightly push back on that, one thing that's important uh, for us as believers um, is the fact that we are all one body, and therefore what affects one limb affects another limb, um, and we we are our brothers' keepers. So if um, the way that one part of the body is going about things is affecting another part of the body negatively i think it's something we have to um you know seriously consider i don't think we can just be so quick to say well you know you guys just you know you guys do what you want to do if you don't like it that's cool and you i I, I do think we need to be mindful it's kind of like the whole issue of you know what we eat do you eat meat do you not eat meat um obviously we should allow everyone to be convinced in their own mind but when our liberty becomes a stumbling block potentially to another believer i think that's what we need to actually stop take stock and say okay is this actually worth uh, affecting the walk of my fellow brother or sister in christ so i think that's the question we need to ask is yeah we have this freedom and we have our liberties, but we can't, we shouldn't use our liberties to an extent that it may cause someone else to stumble. And I think that's, um, really at the heart of all of this discussion is realizing we are one body. We are many different limbs with different functions. However, we also have to be mindful of, you know, what we're doing and how we're functioning affecting other parts of the body. And I think that is really the heart of what makes the body of Christ, you know, the bride of Christ, the church different from the world is that everything we do or at least we you know in an ideal scenario everything we do is being measured against how it's affecting our brothers and sisters in christ we live in a world which is very doggy dog which is very individualistic which is very me myself and i and i'm doing things for myself that make me happy um, and for those who are close to me that make them happy but not thinking of the entire body and unit as a whole and um how it's going to affect them so yeah just my, my thoughts but thanks again for chiming in um appreciate you listening to the content